Do you know the symptoms of a stroke? Do you know how vital it is to call 911 immediately if you suspect someone is having a stroke? Susan Halpin, Stroke Program Coordinator from Mary Washington Hospital, Stroke Survivor Bert Seitzinger, and Tina Rauch, Mary Washington Healthcare EMS Coordinator, explain how important it is to be familiar with the signs and symptoms of stroke and how you can lower your risk of stroke. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Susan Halpin, the Stroke Program Coordinator at Mary Washington Hospital, and I'm joined here with Tina Rouse. She's our EMS Coordinator. We are also hoping to be joined by one of our stroke survivors, Bert Seitzinger, so we're trying to get him uh, connected, and when he is hopefully on, he'll be able to do a portion of the talk tonight. And we really hope that we're able to impact uh, upon you the importance of you know, time is brain and what are the stroke symptoms tonight? So we'll go over that a little bit with you. Now, I'm not sure how many of you know someone who's had a stroke, but I had an aunt who had two very major strokes in the 1980s, and it really was devastating for her. She was left with some pretty severe deficits because there really wasn't anything you could do for stroke in the 1980s. There really wasn't. Stroke treatment really came of age in the late 1998s. I mean, the late 1990s, sorry about that. And I think, um, you know, we've come a long way with stroke care. And you'll see that a little bit tonight when I go over some of that with you. So these are some perceptions we have of stroke. One is stroke is not preventable. That's a myth. The other one is stroke cannot be treated. Another myth, stroke only happens to the elderly. That's a big myth too. Stroke happens in the heart. A lot of people do think that this happens in the heart, but it doesn't. And here's another big myth is that stroke recovery ends after six months. The reality is that 80% of strokes are preventable. 80%, that's a lot. That means you have a lot to do with that. Uh, if you're going to have a stroke, you can do a lot to prevent it. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. Stroke can be treated. It requires emergency treatment. Stroke can happen at any age, anyone at any age. We have a stroke support group, a really vibrant group. But you would think that most of people have stroke are over 65, and, and that's true. But we have several people in the group who've had strokes in their 20s. 25, 27, one of them was 23, she had three strokes. So it can happen to anyone at any time. Stroke is a brain attack, it does not happen in the heart, it happens in the brain. It's a similar mechanism, you have a clot in the brain and it causes this brain attack. And stroke recovery can last a lifetime. You know, in recent years, we have a better understanding of recovery after stroke. And it's really grown significantly with neuroplasticity. That's the ability of your brain to make new connections and, and new changes over time. So stroke recovery really does last a lifetime. And that is really evident in our stroke survivors that attend our stroke support group. Stroke is the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. It's the second leading cause of death globally. And more than uh, or nearly 800,000 Americans will suffer a stroke each year. Stroke is still the leading cause of long-term disability. It is more common in women, and that's because women live longer than men. Every 45 seconds, someone experiences a stroke. And this is a big one here, and this is why we want to emphasize time is brain. Two million brain cells die every minute during an ischemic stroke. 
So what is a stroke? Some people wondering, okay, it is a brain attack, but it, it is often called a brain attack because it affects the arteries to and within the brain. And it happens when an artery that's been carrying oxygen and nutrients to the brain is blocked by a clot or it ruptures. And when this happens, part of the brain can't get the blood and oxygen it needs and starts to die. Um, so that, that's a stroke. There are two types of stroke, two main ones. One of them is an ischemic stroke, and this is the one that's most common. So about 87% of strokes, the majority of strokes are ischemic. And this is caused by a blockage of blood to part of the brain, and it's mostly due to atherosclerosis. That's that buildup of plaque into your arteries, and over time can cause a blockage. You could also get a clot from your heart, like if you have AFib that travels up and blocks your, your vessel up there. That's an ischemic stroke. The other type of stroke is the hemorrhagic stroke. And that occurs when you have a weak blood vessel in your brain. Uh, it could be an uh, aneurysm or a weak blood vessel and it ends up bursting. And so this is called a brain bleed and it ruptures and ends up with some bleeding in and around the brain. And then there's a TIA and some of you have heard of that. A TIA is a transient ischemic attack and what it is is a mini stroke. And with this type of stroke, what you're going to have are the same types of symptoms that you have with a full-on stroke. And we'll discuss those symptoms a little bit later, but these symptoms don't last long. It's transient. They come, maybe last for about an hour, and then they're gone. So they're going to uh, be completely going away and you won't have any noticeable changes. So we think of a TIA as a warning sign. The TIA is like a canary in the coal mine, right? It's a warning sign. Uh, many people who have a TIA will have a full-on stroke 24 hours after the TIA. So we really want you to treat this as an emergency. It's a warning that says, hey, something's going on. We need to get it checked out. You might have a facial droop one side, but it might go away in an hour. And you might think, oh, okay, that was nothing. But it is, it's something you really need to take seriously because it could be your body telling you that something major is about to happen. So I wanted to kind of uh, go over this scenario with you. This is, this is a scenario about a, a patient, then we're gonna call him Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson, 77 years old, he has a history of high cholesterol and high blood pressure, right? He woke up one morning feeling fine but he sat down to eat breakfast, he's eating his cereal, and his daughter noticed that all of a sudden he had difficulty speaking. He also had trouble holding on to his spoon, and it was 9, 9 a.m. in the morning. Worried that he was experiencing a stroke, she called 911. Now, why is that important? Well, she did the right thing. We, we really um, can be thankful to his daughter because she recognized the symptoms of stroke and she called EMS right away. EMS is part of the stroke team for stroke patients. They're part of our stroke chain of survival. Tina and I do a lot of training. Bert joins us with training with our EMS providers to make sure that they know how to respond to a stroke call. And they're very skilled at that. So EMS providers were able to assess Mr. Johnson quickly. They came out to his house quickly, on the scene, assessed him and noticed that he was positive for stroke. So they called the nearest primary, certified primary stroke center, Mary Washington Hospital, and gave us an alert and said, hey, we've got Mr. Johnson here and he's having a stroke. And the wonderful thing about that, they're alerting us is that our team is ready to greet Mr. Johnson there. And they're able to swarm him and get him right into the CT scan immediately. We're ready and trained for stroke patients to come to the hospital. 
The neurologist was able to do a very quick assessment on Mr. Johnson, and it turns out that he definitely was experiencing acute ischemic stroke. He got a clot-busting medication called TPA with just minutes of arrival. And for Mr. Johnson, his speech and his right arm weakness resolved. He was discharged home in just a few days and he had no deficits. Now that's really the best case scenario, right? If that's what we want to happen for all of our stroke patients. But unfortunately, some people don't call 911 or they might say, hey, you know, I don't know what this arm weakness is. I'm going to go and lie down. And we, we want you to realize that that's a stroke. We're going to go over those stroke symptoms a little bit later so that you can really feel confident if someone is experiencing that, that you'll know what to do. So what is a certified primary stroke center anyway? Well, Mary Washington Hospital is the first certified primary stroke center in this region. We've been certified since 2009. And it's been shown that certified stroke centers have improved outcomes for patients. Our patients have a reduced length of stay. We have an acute stroke team that is trained and ready to greet you in the ER or the emergency department like we did with Mr. Johnson. We also have this designated neuroscience unit. This is our stroke unit. We have stroke trained nurses who come in and can educate you on stroke to help prevent another stroke from happening. We also provide excellent care by giving you standardized and evidence-based care. We also offer thrombolytics. What is a thrombolytic? Well, that is a, that TPA, that's clot-busting medication that can go in there and break down that clot. We also have neurology coverage. Well, neurologists are really key in stroke care, right? They're the ones that determine if you're going to be able to get TPA or not. And we have the benefit of having neurologists here. Our very own neurologists that cover you during the day are also the same ones that can cover you at night. Now, how many of out there this year during COVID have had telehealth, right? I'm sure there's a lot of you that have been able to see your doctor with telehealth. You just log into your laptop and you can talk to your doctor. They can see you. Well, we've been doing the same thing for stroke and we call it telestroke and we've been doing it for years. So we're very good at that. Our neurologists can log in at two in the morning if a stroke patient comes in and they can assess them because they can see them and they can ask them to raise their arm or if they can smile. And they are able to see if this patient is indeed a stroke patient that is a candidate for a TPA. So what are the treatments for stroke? I went over the first one with you and that's ischemic stroke a brain clot. Remember, something's getting lodged in your brain, and we need to figure out a way to get rid of that clot. And in, you know, in the 1990s, the discovery of TPA, which is a clot-busting medication. So think of a straw, and I know I've done this. I'm sure many of you have done this. When you're drinking lemonade, and it's fresh lemonade, freshly squeezed, and you get that seed that's stuck in there, right? You've got that little um, lemon seed in there. And you can't get any of that lemonade up, right? So you can kind of blow it a little bit and you can get it to flow smoothly again. Well, that's sort of what TPA does to a clot. It breaks it up. You're able to get it to flow nice and easy again. That works really beautifully for those smaller vessels in the brain. You know, our brain has a lot of blood vessels in it and some of them are very tiny. So you might have a clot in there and still it's gonna give you some effect, but we can dissolve that one rather well. But the um, larger clots, we can't quite get that whole clot to dissolve. And I think of it as a garden hose with a rock. You can't blow the rock out of the garden hose. You need something a little bit more powerful. And so for a larger vessel in your brain, 
uh, that might be clogged with a, with a clot, we might need to do surgery. And for those patients, we'd have to send them to a, a larger stroke center, like a comprehensive one, VCU in Richmond or ANOVA in Fairfax. And they'll be able to do what we call as clot retrieval, go in with like a claw to get the clot out or suction it out. Uh, but we don't do that here, but we're able to assess the patient and see if we can get that. So for ischemic stroke, we can do TPA, clot-busting medication, or surgery by sending you to a comprehensive stroke center. Now, the thing with TPA is it's very time-sensitive. Remember with Mr. Johnson, I told you that his symptoms started at 9 a.m., and he was able to get TPA, but that's because we got him to the hospital quickly. You can get TPA within four and a half hours from that last known well time. So it's very time sensitive and then not everybody's eligible for it. So if, for instance, if you've just had recent surgery, you're not gonna be a candidate for TPA, but that's a decision the neurologist makes uh, with you, okay? By looking at everything in your chart and what's going on with you, each individual patient. And then the same thing with mechanical thrombectomy or clot retrieval, that also is kind of time sensitive. It's up to 24 hours from that last known well time. And uh, with both of these treatments, the sooner we can do it, the better. Because remember, every minute, 2 million brain cells die. So if we're getting closer to that 24-hour mark, uh, you have lost probably a few more blood uh, brain cells. So we want to do it as soon as possible. And that's why we want you to act quickly. And then for hemorrhagic stroke, uh, there are several options, but it depends on the type of bleed, and that's the neurosurgeon that would make that decision. So uh, it might be medical management. Maybe they need to give you some medications to bring that blood pressure down quickly, or they may have to do some sort of surgical intervention. Those are just some options with hemorrhagic strokes, but the, most of the, the discussion today will be on that ischemic stroke. So what do we do here at Mary Washington Hospital? I already told you a few of these things because we brought Mr. Johnson in. So as soon as our stroke patients come in, we do an urgent CT brain scan within minutes of arrival. And we have our neurologists that come in and assess the patient. We also have our lab team that's been trained to come in and draw some important labs. And then they're able to make a decision whether we're going to give you the clot busting medication or we transfer you to get that clot taken out by surgery. We also have some uh, pretty new stuff that's going on here at Mary Washington. Lots of great changes for interventions with stroke. And one of them is this new one, Viz AI, and the AI is artificial intelligence. And this has been phenomenal for us, especially with helping with determining which patients would be best sent to VCU for a thrombectomy or clot retrieval. And this is an app, so it helps our neurologist and our radiologists to see those images in real time. They're not waiting for those images to process. They pop right up on the phone. It's an app, it's really phenomenal. And they're able to see if this patient would be a good candidate to send out or not. If they're not, we can keep the patients here in the community so that they can recover here at the hospital. But of course, we wanna send you, if you're eligible and they wanna do the thrombectomy on you, we wanna send you as quickly as possible. So this is a great, um, addition to our stroke program here at Mary Washington. It's pretty exciting. So I just kind of want to oh, emphasize again time, because time is the big thing. Time is brain. And the American Heart Association really supports all of these treatments for stroke. And we want to 
just reiterate that getting TPA, it's within the first four and a half hours of when that stroke started or when you're last known well, and you can get thrombectomy within 24 hours. Not everybody, remember you have to be, meet the eligibility criteria, but at least it's an available treatment. Miles Davis, the famous jazz musician has this quote, I love it. Time isn't the main thing, it's the only thing. And boy, he could have been talking about stroke and not jazz, okay? So try to get it into, uh, into what you're thinking is that it, time is brain. So it's really what we have to focus on with stroke because that's going to help us to give you the right treatment in the right time. So to be stroke smart, we have to know the three R's of stroke and they are reduce stroke risk, recognize stroke symptoms, and respond at the first sign of stroke by calling 911 immediately. And what I'd like to do now is turn it over to Bert Seitzinger. Uh, Bert is a stroke survivor, and he is one of the founding members of the Mary Washington Healthcare Stroke Support Group. And he is also one of the first volunteers on the stroke unit. We have a, a Stroke Connect program here at Mary Washington Hospital on our stroke unit. We have stroke survivors who volunteer on the unit. They come in uh, several days a week to visit with new stroke survivors. And they provide education on how to prevent a second stroke from happening. They also give them information on stroke support group. And I think most vital of all is that they provide hope and they give them some hope that, you know, it's going to be okay. This has been a terrible, unfortunate that they've had a stroke, but it's going to be okay. There is life after stroke. And I think that's probably one of the biggest messages our stroke survivors can give to our, um, the new stroke patients on the unit. So I'm now going to send it over to you, Bert, and thank you for joining us. I'm Bert Seitzinger, and uh, I'm a, well, I'll be 61 on May 26th. I was 49 and a half when I had my first when I had my strokes, and it all began as a TIA three weeks prior to my CVA. So I basically am the perfect example of what not to do when you're having stroke. I was a workaholic and um, didn't do well with my eating habits. I'm not gonna say I didn't eat good, I ate good, but I didn't eat breakfast, didn't eat lunch, would eat a big dinner and go to bed. And I uh, was more worried about the God Almighty dollar than I was my health. So only issue I had at the time prior to the stroke was I was taking medication for uh, high cholesterol and I was a smoker also. So those were two risk factors. But the process started, I had signs and symptoms of stroke on my TIA, which actually affected my vision to the left. And uh, I thought it was just the left eye, but it ended up being the peripheral, even from the right eye to the left. And uh, it's not that I totally ignored it, but I, I did. I didn't go to the doctor. I went to an eye doctor. He didn't catch it. I ended up, of course, as, as Susan was describing TIA, it's almost like turning off a light switch on and off. It comes and goes. So my vision would come and go. And that went on for about a week. I ended up going to Vienna, Austria on business. And I was there for two weeks. And when I got back, I ended up having the CVA, which um, I actually, the day that I had the CVA, I drove to work, I drove home. My day was very confusing. I made wrong change at lunchtime. I screwed up time sheets in the morning. So I'm 
glad I even made it home. But once I got home, I um, sat down to watch the Redskins game. It was a Monday night, and I went I went uh, numb between the cheek and the jaw. And when I say numb, it was it was like um, it, it's like the feeling of Novocaine wearing off. And actually, I'm still like that today. I always say if that disappears, maybe I'll I'll finally get my left arm and left leg back. Uh, those are still two issues that I have. But um, the, that night uh, when I sat down and watched TV and went numb from the cheek to the jaw, I decided to go upstairs and go to bed. And the wife, she actually had gone to the Redskin game and came and uh, um, when she got home, I remember talking about the Redskin game, but I didn't talk about my issues or anything. And uh, I went downstairs to get the, a drink and go to the bathroom and uh, I couldn't make it back up the stairs. So I drug myself into the sunroom at the south end of the house. And uh, there I lie until my son got off work and got home about 2.30. And I had it in my mind that he's a big boy. He can pick me up and take me back upstairs because nothing really hurt. I just couldn't get up off the floor. And of course, when he got here at 2.30, he says, you know what's going on. And I didn't really know. He was the one that called 911. And as far as the term stroke, that never came about until one of the EMSs was sitting in front of me, young man, and says to me, you look, you look awful young to be having a stroke. And of course, then it's been a journey ever since, but I was affected cognitively, and then I don't have use of the left arm, and I have to wear a leg brace on the left leg. Here it is, it'll be 12 years in uh, October, and I'm still six foot above, so it's better than six foot under. And um, I really enjoy what we do with the volunteer work at, at the hospital. I think that's about it, unless you can think of anything else there, Susan. Would you mind sharing a few more of the stroke risk factors? There's a stroke risk scorecard that we use uh, during the education uh, when we make the rounds there at the hospital. And risk factors are such things as high blood pressure, AFib, which is irregular heartbeat, smoking, which I was a smoker. I have no longer, I stopped smoking when I had the, the stroke. High cholesterol, which I had, was taking medication. I didn't have, but I do now. I have diabetes, type two. Um, exercise, I'm, I'm very, I, I get a lot of activity in. And diet, I have a very good a, a diet now too but I have the high blood pressure as well. And that's all come about since I had the stroke. So I call it medication management, diet and exercise is what keeps me going. And like I said, I'm going on 12 years without having a stroke again. So I must be doing something right. Reducing the risk of stroke is eating properly, which is diet, exercise. If you're smoking, you shouldn't smoke. Try to stop smoking. I appreciate Bird's uh joining us tonight on the call because I think his story is very powerful. Um, we, Bert has joined Tina and I when we go out to the EMS community and we're training our EMS providers on stroke. And it's very helpful to have someone who's actually been through a stroke to help with educating providers. And now what I'd like to do is turning over to Tina Rausch. She is our EMS coordinator. And Tina's gonna talk to you about the, the R for recognizing stroke. How do you recognize stroke and what do you do if you do recognize stroke? So Tina, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Thank you. 
Hi, everyone. My name is Tina Rausch. I am the EMS coordinator for Mary Washington Healthcare, and my background uh, in EMS, I have served as a firefighter paramedic and in EMS administration for over 34 years in our community here. Uh, so very proud to work with Susan and Bert and others at, at Mary Washington as we try and help educate not only our EMS providers on recognizing a stroke, but you um, as our community. So spotting a stroke is the first step towards stopping it. And in the hospital and the EMS field, we use a test uh, that we call BFAST. And so BFAST is a balance, eyes, face, arm, and speech test. And we're gonna go through each of those uh, areas and just talk a little bit about what you can do uh, to help recognize a stroke or a friend, a family member, or even yourself. So let's start with B. B is for balance. And what you're looking for is if your balance is off or you're having dizziness. So you might ask the person if they're experiencing sudden loss of balance. And that sudden is very important um, because these need to be new onset symptoms that suddenly are occurring. And so if they have that sudden loss of balance or coordination, or they're complaining of sudden new dizziness, then you definitely wanna be suspicious of, of a possible stroke. Another sign would be your eyes. And so that's E. And so with eyes, you would ask the person if they've experienced sudden blurred vision, if they're having double vision or sudden persistent vision trouble. And again, this would be new onset, sudden onset when you're assessing or having a symptom with your eyes. The next letter that we use is F and that stands for face. And with the face, what you're really looking for is if you notice any drooping on one side of the face. Um, that's a very common sign that you may see with a stroke. And the way that you can test for that is to ask the person to smile. If they're having a stroke, they may not necessarily be able to talk or answer uh, you, but be assured that most of the time our stroke patients do understand what you are saying to them. And so ask that person to smile. And when they smile, then look to see if you notice any facial droop on one side. The next letter is A, and that is for arm. And what you're looking for uh, with this stroke symptom is arm drift. And so the test that we use or you can use is to ask the person to raise both of their arms in front of them with their palms up and have them hold their arms raised in this manner for at least five seconds. Uh, you can count at least to five or 10. And if they cannot hold one arm up and you start to notice one of the arms is drifting downward, then that is a sign of a stroke. And so you're looking for that on one side of the body. And so that is uh, the test that we use for arm drift. 
The next letter is S, and that stands for speech. And I mentioned this just a moment ago. Um, there are varying different types of things in the EMS field that we are looking for with speech. But for you, with your family member or friends, you really are looking to see if that person can say a few words. Is it easy for them to talk? If they talk like they are drunk or you're noticing that their speech sounds slurred or garbled, or you just simply cannot understand what they are trying to say, then that is a sign of stroke. Um, and you should note that and, and be concerned. The last letter of BFAST is T, and this one is very important. Um, if you noticed any of the symptoms that we talked about it, with the B, the balance, the E, the eyes, F for face, A for arm drift, or S for speech, you can have one of those signs, and then that would be indicative of a stroke, or you could have multiple signs, and that also would be indicative. But it's important to know that you only really need to have one sign for that to be indicative of a stroke, and that's where T comes into play, and you need to act fast and that's when it's time to call 911. It's very important uh, if you have the ability to do that, to call 911 and let your area rescue squad come and treat that patient. For the EMS field, time is very important for us too. Our area EMS providers have uh, local protocols that they follow for treating the stroke patient. And their on-scene time with you or that patient needs to be quick because we teach them that time is brain. And so on-scene, they will spend less than 15 minutes getting that patient assessed and loaded up into the ambulance and then on their way to the stroke center. During the transport, most of the care is done. Um, they're gonna ask a lot of questions just to assess the patient's medical history, what the symptoms are that they're experiencing. They're going to do some, uh, some treatment in the field, such as checking your blood sugar. Some of you may have diabetes, and we train EMS to, to recognize that a low blood sugar can sometimes mimic a stroke. And so we want to rule that out in the EMS field. And so they do check your blood sugar pretty quickly. They will start an IV. They may hook up a heart monitor to monitor your heart rhythm during their transport. And really important, they are going to ask, what was the last known well time? And Susan talked a little bit about that. And we really have worked hard to train EMS on recognizing and asking, what was the last known well time? When was this patient last seen normal? And we want them to document that time specifically. So they would document the date, May 18th at 4.30 p.m. Uh, it needs to be specific. And then that information is relayed to the stroke center. And as Susan pointed out, it's very important because they use that timing to determine what treatments are are appropriate for that patient based on that last known well time and when they possibly uh, started having the stroke. One other thing that they may ask you, uh, the EMS provider should ask for a phone number. Often the patient is going to be placed in the ambulance and you as the family member 
or friend that's going to the hospital will meet them there. And if you're a family member, uh, you may not get to the hospital at the same time that your loved one does. And so we wanna make sure that we have a cell phone number or a number where they can reach you while you're in route so that if the hospital neurologist or the emergency department staff have specific questions that they need to ask quickly, they have access to you. So uh, we do train EMS to get that to get that phone number. And then finally, EMS is going to choose the best stroke center destination for that patient. And Susan talked a, a lot about the different types of stroke centers. Mary Washington is a primary stroke center for our region. And in our EMS protocols, typically they're gonna transport the patient to uh, the primary stroke center. But if they uh, assess the patient and they feel that they may be uh, having a stroke where that uh, clot retrieval is indicative, then uh, they may take the patient directly to a comprehensive stroke center, or in our protocol, we also work very closely with our local air medical provider, and the patient may be flown directly to a comprehensive center. Um, and so the stroke awareness be fast, uh, mnemonic, this is the tool that we do use for EMS and for the community. It has great visual pictures. We really just want you to remember, be fast and understand the signs and symptoms of stroke. And most importantly, if any of those signs are recognized or occurring, to please call 911. Thank you very much, Tina. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. For more information, please visit stroke.mwhc.com.